to Everyday Theology, where we don't tell you what to believe or why to believe it, but rather explore our Christian beliefs and why they matter for us in relation to God, to creation, and to others. My name is Aaron Ross. Welcome back to Everyday Theology. Today, I have a guest with me whom I've only more recently met. We we connected and met over uh, some shared experiences within our uh, doctoral work. Um, he's at the same university that I can almost now say I'm uh, fully done with. Um, that sounds bad. I like the place, but you know, glad to be done. Um, and we we got connected and had some great conversations around our work. And so I'm I'm really happy to have already Dr. Mark Sharona, who's now going to be double Dr. Mark Sharona. Uh, coming up soon. So thank you so much uh, for being with me today. I'm honored to be with you, Aaron. It's great to spend time with you. Well, uh, it always is. And our limited conversations, every time I walk away, excited that we had time to chat. But um, yeah, it's for my listeners. Um, Mark is a bishop. He's a pastor at Church on the Living Edge. I, I mentioned he is already has one uh, doctorate of ministry. He's working on a PhD. Finishing should be done Pretty much by the time this is posted, you should be done. So uh, I, I think that's going to happen. Yeah, uh, I believe it's going to happen. Um, and uh, and he's doing a lot of kind of fascinating work around kind of prophetic and especially early Pentecostal, early Pentecostals, of course, which is a an, an amazing area of research for this very topic. But before we get into the topic of the day, would you mind just introducing yourself to my listeners? Anything that you might think that they would find interesting about your life, you, your research, and your work. Well, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a born and raised Italian-American from New York City. Um, I often say that uh, <laughs> we wrote the book on dysfunction. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I, uh, I, I have some rich and wonderful memories of being raised in New York, um, a city kid at heart, you can take New York out of the boy, but you can't take, I mean, you can take the boy out of New York, but you can't take New right. York out of the boy. So wherever I've been, you know, New York had a, had a profound shaping on my consciousness. I grew up in the era of, um, the turbulent era of the late 50s and 60s the civil rights movement, the sexual revolution, the me generation, the Vietnam War, um, all of that was part of the journey that shaped my consciousness and the trajectory of my life in ministry. And, um, and so much of what I do had its beginnings in my earliest beginnings in my life and my life history. And I'm grateful to God as I look back over all these years at how I've been able to see his hand at work from my earliest recollection um, and through all my rebellion and my resistance and my later conversion to Christ and um, my immersion in the Jesus people movement that led me to um, be part of a wonderful Pentecostal charismatic church in Brooklyn that was a center for renewal. And, um, and then having now at this season of my life since then, uh, been able to be privileged to meet some of the most significant voices in all three generations of the move of God, what I would call the move of God in Pentecost since I've been around, um, and my ability to um, interact across varied streams. I've been blessed uh, in that regard. I'm deeply humbled. It's also given me a large perspective on <clears throat> who God is and what Jesus is up to. I, I, um, as I think about it now, I, I realize only God could have orchestrated and done all the things that have been done. And I've, I've had a, I have a footprint that touches 200 nations around the world. I, mm. How God did all that is beyond me, but it, it happened. Yeah, that's it amazing. Happened. Yeah. 
So, and, and I want to get it more into kind of your story, because as we were even talking before we started, your story and kind of your research topic here have some interesting connections. Um, and I think a lot of my listeners will want, will want to understand kind of some of these shifts in you and your understanding of kind of the prophetic from your earlier kind of ministry work to now. Um, so let's start kind of with your, with your research at University of Birmingham. So you're you're doing a lot of work here on and and I might need you to say it better than I'm going to say it clearly, but early Pentecostals, the way that they thought about, talked about, engaged in the practice of kind of prophetic. Um, I don't know if you'd even use the word imagination, kind of doing the Walter Brueggemann thing, right? Um, but more even more specific with what they would say in the kind of prophetic language. What maybe we'll we'll start here. What kind of drew you? to research that within the early Pentecostals and what are you really trying to find or what have you found through much of that work that you've done? Okay. So again, we'd have to go back in my personal history to my earliest beginnings. There has always been within my consciousness, within my awareness, um, what I would call a, a yearning for a clarity on seeing the unseen hearing the unheard and speaking the unspoken. So if I were to talk about this approach to speaking forth mm -hmm. that which comes from the spirit, it would be summed up in seeing the unseen, uh, Elisha and Elijah, if you see when I am taken from you. There is a profound sense in which until that heaven splitting force takes place in the experience of Elisha at the Jordan with Elijah, his consciousness cannot be opened up to see reality at its deeper level so that what Elisha discovers at that point is that there's a world in front of his eyes, but the world behind that world is governing the world in front of his eyes. So it's the world behind hmm. the world in front of his eyes. And he sees the chariots of Israel, the Merkaba, the, the chariot throne of God, the same vision Ezekiel sees. He has that kind of a of, a, of an encounter that is what Rudolf Otto from the 19th century would call an encounter with the numinous, numinous, numinosum, the sacred, the holy, the mysterious yeah. tremendum et fascinans. It, it is both awe-inspiring but terrifying at the same time. It is Isaiah in the throne room saying, woe is me, for I am undone, and yet at the same time saying, here am I, send me. And right. so that, that encounter with the numinous, with the sacred, that undoes us and redoes us at the same time. Uh, there's always been in my, from my youngest days, these senses of there's more to what is taking place than what our natural eyes can see. And so that formed the backdrop. I've always had a rich imagination. I've always had a hunger for um, learning. I'm an avid reader and have been since I earliest days of my remembrance. And when I came to Christ, prior to my coming to Christ, I was deeply disillusioned. I was part of a wonderful church family that uh, was... My great uncle on my mother's side founded the first Italian Protestant chapel in New York. Huh. Wow. And uh, unusual for Italians to be Protestant. But my great uncle um, started the first Italian Protestant chapel on Staten Island, actually in New York, um, Little Italy in New York, and then moved it to Staten Island and had three campuses early in the 20th century. And my by the time my dad was 11 years old, he was the church organist and choir director. And my great uncle, Frank, would coordinate the three services by how long it would take my dad to ride his bike from campus one to campus two to campus huh. three. 
Yeah. And all of those campuses were in marginalized neighborhoods. And yes, there were many Italians that came, but there were also many African-Americans that came and many other marginalized groups because my uncle in many ways, though he joined the Presbyterian church was, if I use Pentecostal as an adjective, he was Pentecostal. Yeah. And so I, and I use that as an adjective, not as a denomination. And so he had a heart for the marginalized. He had a heart for the disenfranchised. He had a heart for when Walter, when I would finally read Walter Brueggemann in 1979, he had a heart for the have nots. And all of that growing up in a, in a, in a day when racial strife was at its height and New York city was the, was the de facto Jim Crow city of the North. Hmm. Uh, there were areas in New York City proper where the African-American people never got to go to and never went to, and there were areas where the white community never went. And so, and there was, um, even though New York was part of the North, there, there was a pretty intense racial divide. Yeah. And I grew up in the middle of that. I grew up in a neighborhood that was cross-cultural, multi-ethnic, um, lower middle-class neighborhood. And I often say the only color we didn't have in our neighborhood was green. <laughs> and so the economics was what we all struggled with. Yeah. It taught us uh, that all of us were humans that were struggling. To, and and all of, our, all of my friends and their fathers and mothers were endeavoring to flesh out a living in very difficult ways and um so by the time i got to high school in my humanities class um my english teacher in the humanities class had us read books that were relevant to what was going on and and i read coming of age in mississippi i read ralph ellison's the invisible man i read letters from a birmingham jail and i read the autobiography of malcolm x and somehow reading all of that brought me back to my awareness of growing up in um, an environment where we were we were embracing of racial um, boundaries collapsing so that there could yeah. be love in the community called the Christian community. And and it 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 became foundational for me in terms of my life's work, which has been in multi-ethnic cross-cultural ministry and has been from the beginning. But I had a radical encounter with Jesus because of all that intuitive yearning. I was, I was looking for signs and wonders. I was looking for some demonstration of the power that I saw in the Gospels, and I didn't see it in the Presbyterian Church. And when the Jesus People movement hit, I was in college, and there was a little mini revival that happened on our college campus. Hmm. And I, I mean, I'm leaving out a lot of details about things that I was going through at the time, but I had a radical conversion. I was on my way to becoming an entertainer, um, playing and singing. Jesus apprehended me at 19. I was filled with the Holy Spirit three weeks later, called to preach the gospel. Um, and I haven't stopped since. I've been yeah. in the now 49 years. That's amazing. Yeah. And so, I started prophesying the moment. I mean, I was filled with the Spirit, and I was prophesying within days of that, not knowing what I was doing. And I was also, um, I, I didn't know what a word of knowledge was or what a word of wisdom was. I didn't know what discerning of spirits was. And yet I was becoming profoundly aware that I, that there was that which was in me by the spirit that was teaching me how to see the unseen, hear the unheard, yeah. speak what wanted to be spoken that wasn't being spoken yeah you know i mean it's it's interesting if i put on my uh my listener hat for a second you know these terms things things like seeing the unseen or or when we talk about words of knowledge prophetic right for 
for me that that's not that's not uh unheard of it, it's not alien right because growing up in a pentecostal church these sure. kind of these kind of engagements now there's been refinement clearly of what i think and understand of oh, of knowledge or prophetic right and i want to definitely get into some of that refinement because i think what happens with these terms is that those outside of those spaces typically only see the most excessive yeah, excessive. That's a much better word than I was going for. So great. Abuses. Yeah, yeah. I mean, any of those kind of things. And and just strange, right? Because it, it yeah. becomes so strange to them in the way that it's used or wielded. Uh, and there's another word to even use that, or to talk about there, used, right? How that's sometimes thought within those circles. So maybe, maybe to help those listeners as we get into this, maybe define some of that for them. When you when you talk about prophetic, how is it that you're defining it? I hate defining something against something else, but that does help clarify sometimes, right? So sure. when you talk about prophetic, how are you talking about it? Maybe that is different than what some people may see on TV or even the, the last elections with the craziness of social media and, and prophecy and the like. Okay, so if we stay within the canon, let's let's take a canonical approach to this. We have a body of work from Genesis to Malachi that contains the law, the wisdom literature, and the prophets. Right. Jeremiah 18, 18 says, the law will not perish from the priest, nor wisdom from the sage, nor the word of the Lord from the prophets. Hmm. And so the law is not just the Ten Commandments. The law is, Torah is that first five books of scripture that tell us the story of our beginnings, where we came from. Right. My father was a wandering Aramean. At the first fruits offering, I had to tell the story of Abraham and bring my offering and recite the story of where I begin with Abraham and how... Uh, Abraham crosses a river, a bar. Hebrew means to cross a river in order to enter the promised land and live as an alien and a stranger with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God dwells in tents until the time when Joshua settles the people in the land. There's deliverance from Egyptian oppression after 430 years. And so this is Torah. This is the consensus, as Walter Brueggemann would say, of the community. This is where we came from. This is what we all agree on. Hmm. And for us as believers from a canonical perspective, we would contend that Abraham is the father of the faith for both the Jew and the Gentile, and that in yeah. Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile. So Torah is the consensus of the community. Held against Torah is the hope of the future, which would look at the prophetic body of literature. And yet the prophetic body of literature, while it leans forward, always calls Israel to learn and obey from the past what has to be honored and remembered if they are going to make it into their future. Right. So you have the prophets in the Old Testament canon doing two things number one they are they are constantly calling israel to learn from their past and then lean into their future because those men of god and those women of god because i'm including deborah and Huldah and many of the other women <clears throat> that were prophets in the old testament peter tells us they made careful search and inquiry as to what manner or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Hmm. So that what we have in Torah and the prophets is our beginnings and then our consummation endings. But then in the middle of that, we have to know how to behave and navigate our way between <laughs> right. the two, which is wisdom literature. So wisdom... Right. Always in the Hebrew, wisdom isn't an accumulation of knowledge. Wisdom is knowing how to carry ourselves as we move from where we've been to where we're going. Wisdom literature fills the gap between where we've been and where we're going. It, it helps us in that liminal in-between space again and again so that we can order our steps in cooperation with the working of the spirit as Christians. And so 
when we think about all of that, we then move into the story of Jesus and the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets in him. Luke uh, makes it really clear if we're going to talk about who we are as, for me as a Pentecostal, my entrance into the conversation of charismatic Pentecostal realities is going to be Luke Acts. Right. Uh, because Luke represents... Luke represents in the in the in the bookends of Luke and Acts um, the charismatic prophetic Jesus or the prophetic charismatic Jesus. And as Roger Stronstad, the late Roger Stronstad would say, not only the priesthood of all believers, but the prophethood of all believers, right. the, the ecclesia, the church becomes that vehicle whereby God proclaims the kingdom. And so we speak forth. So profetuo in the New Testament. While, it is, while, while the term prophet is similar in Ephesians 4 to the term prophet, the Nabi in Genesis to Malachi, there's a categorical difference. The prophets of the, of the canon in the Old Testament were given to us to found us and ground us in the story of Jesus. Hmm. So I personally, and I realize there are others that take a different look at this. I'm very aware that brilliant scholars like Marcus Bart and other friends, friends of ours that are in our world would look at Ephesians 2.18, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets as including New Testament apostles and prophets. I would offer a word of caution as a Pentecostal on that for a few reasons, both theologically and um, sociologically and psychologically for many reasons. I would argue that the church is built on the foundation of the Old Testament prophets who prophesied of Christ and his sufferings and the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Hmm. That that and Christ is the cornerstone. And that when you get to Ephesians 4, the ascension gifts, apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, that there's a categorical difference between those apostolic and prophetic voices. They do not carry the same authority hmm. as um, the uh, 12 apostles of the Lamb or the Old Testament prophets, because everything they said was canonized. Right. Uh, you know, so the right. canon, um, but the canon does not eliminate, as Ricky D. Moore would argue, the operation of charisma. Right. So that the spirit... Um, is alive in us and therefore at work with us and through us so that we can bear witness to Jesus. And in that, the testimony, the martyr, martyria, the martyrdom, the testimony, the witness of Jesus, Revelation 19.10, is the spirit, capital S, of prophecy. So you have on behalf of the Father's eternal purpose, the cross-shaped testimony of Jesus that is ever confirmed by the Holy Spirit himself yeah. with the spirit of prophecy right. in the book of Revelation. So the prophetic expression in the New Testament has a couple of roles to play. One of them, I would argue, is similar to the Old Testament prophet, except that we don't have the authority that the Old Testament prophet had. But, but the, the New Testament prophet is a building inspector. Hmm. So the apostolic grounds us and is there to establish us in the faith once for all delivered to the saints, the creedal confessions, which by the way is changing the shape of global Pentecostalism because in the early days of Pentecostalism, the, 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 the popular phrase, we have no creed, but the Bible was adopted. And, right. and yet when they made up their own confessions, they had to go back to the creeds anyway. So even <laughs> right. though they, they claimed they weren't creedal, uh, why reinvent the wheel? Uh, the Apostles' Creed, the Roman Creed, which became the Apostles' Creed, which became the Nicene Chalcedonian Creed, is the faith once for all delivered to the saints. It is the regula fidei. Right. And right. if we are going to talk about revelation, Pentecostals love to talk about revelation, but there are a few ways they use the term. But primary revelation is a revelation of who the Father is, who the Son is, and who the Spirit is. All of it revealed ultimately in Jesus, who reveals to us the nature of the Father and the work of the Spirit, so that within the Godhead, 
we have this communion in God's very being that is the very life, eternal life of the church. Yeah. And so life in the spirit is sharing the triune life as a community. And in the sharing of that life, Paul tells us that we have to be careful how we build. And so there's apostolic work done to ground and 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 gather people into the into the communities of the faith once for all delivered to the saints, which requires baptism. Uh, we are baptized into the body of Christ. But then from there, because the spirit is alive in us, the spirit moves through us in various ways. And so the prophetic is not it. it I would argue that the prophetic is far more speaking forth, forthtelling than it is foretelling. There right. is a certain element of foretelling, but it is not the major emphasis in the New Testament of New Testament prophetic function. Yeah. So maybe let me um, right. Let me just kind of bring that down to two points here, right? So foretelling, foretelling, right? For some. Right, this idea of foretelling is what most people think the Harry Potter crystal ball, oh, right? Yeah. Like there's something that's in the that's future. Divination. That's right. Divination. There's something in the future that I can know today and I'm gonna to tell you when it's gonna happen, right? And and we get so much in trouble. I say we some in the church get so much in trouble of Christ is coming back this day, or this thing's gonna happen here, or right. and and it never turns out for good for us um right. when that happens. And foretelling maybe the way that I would teach it in my undergrad classes often would be calling out the world as it's supposed to be, even in light of it Absolutely. not being that thing today, right? And what I like about, and tell me if I'm if I'm not on the right page here with what you're saying, but what I like about the way that you're engaging with Ephesians, right, is there is this tendency, it seems, amongst popular quote-unquote prophets today or kind of apostolic leadership today, that while not in word would say we're on par with the apostles and the prophets canonized in scripture, but would try to carry that same weight, right? So when I say something, it is, I'm saying this as a prophet. or I'm Ex-cathedral, right? Ex -cathedral, like the Pope. Right, very much. And and again, that that gets us into weird places. And what I like about what you're trying to say is, no, 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 we need to rein that back some and recognizing what Sean said, said, right? This is a prophethood of all believers. It's the priesthood of all believers. It's it's the community and the spirit at work within the community, which doesn't disavow prophetic speech, but it also, I don't, and this sounds a, a weird way to put it, it's not normalizing as in normal uh, we shouldn't give it special attention, but it normalizes it in recognizing the way that I like how Daniel Costello describes kind of this quote unquote, what we call supernatural, what we often call supernatural. He makes the argument is actually the most natural. Absolutely. We're just it's so more sacramental to... would sacramental would be a far better word to use. Right. We're just so used to it being out of normal for us right. that it feels supernatural when in reality this is the way the world was always meant to be yeah and how god engages with the world right and i think for so many that's a necessary needed correction when we look at how many groups how many people in some ways flock after people who claim to be prophets and put them in these weird spaces that they can do no wrong or you know, I, I had a, a fellow alumni from my first institution who got into a lot of hot water with this whole Trumpism and prophetic and then his whole ministry, at least in social media spaces, turned on him when he had to apologize and go, that wasn't what I said it was. And they would rather claim the word that he gave, right? It just, it, it was like such an odd break from, from space for him but that's, I think that's not uncommon, right? When we have those kind of perceptions. And you know that world much better than I in terms of kind of people and spaces and places. What helped for you begin to clarify this process when we think about prophetic in this different way or quote unquote prophets? Kind of what, what moved you into the space to kind of go, this is a healthier, more holistic, more Christ-like, more, more uh, 
any good adjective of Christianity that I can give, right? Space, then kind of those other spaces that we've seen used in terms of prophetic. Okay, so I would argue, based on my history, that I was formed differently than that. Hmm. So if if if, it, if if while I'm in Bible college, I'm sitting at the feet of voices like Judson Cornwall and gleaning from voices like Malcolm Smith and others who um, had a very solid Pentecostal view of the prophetic, mm-hmm. um, there would not have been the kind of emphases we are seeing now. Yeah, and then graduating Bible Bible College, I, ha- I had an undergraduate degree in music, but I minored in education, which ended up being a double uh, in in religion, which ended up being a double major. So uh, you have to understand, in my undergraduate work, I I had I had already been exposed to historical criticism, redaction criticism, form criticism. I took a uh, I took two I took a full year of Greek, so I had New Testament Greek. Um, so I was already exposed to methodologies for interpreting scripture before I went to Bible school. And then Bible school in a Pentecostal setting was classical Pentecostal, yeah. Wesleyan Pentecostal training. Um, and so Wesley's influence was profound in all that was taught. It was it was reformed, but it wasn't Calvinistic reform. Right. It was grace right. is always prior. God was lover and his judgment came out of love. God wasn't judge and ready to kill everybody. And then right. love, love was arbitrary. Right. And so when we, and then in 1979, uh, before I finished um, Bible school, uh, it's a three and a half year program, Brueggemann's book, The Prophetic Imagination came out. And because I was raised Presbyterian and was aware of what was going on in academia in Presbyterian circles, um, I got a hold of Brueggemann's book, Fortress Press put it out. Um, and I read the prophetic imagination and I'm already experiencing the charismata, but I'm reading now a theologian, an Old Testament theologian that's putting in perspective the Old Testament corpus of prophetism, talking then about where we are in the 70s in light of the civil rights movement, and looking at Martin Luther King Jr., which is prior to writing Prophetic Imagination, and and where we were in relationship to justice issues, yeah, all of that shaped my consciousness because because Brueggemann talks about prophetic consciousness and prophetic perception, which was the seed for me for the doctoral work I've just I'm just completing, waiting on my oral defense on prophetic consciousness. But I I take. Brueggemann's concept of prophetic consciousness and perception, and I expand it in from a Pentecostal perspective. I, 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 what I do in my thesis is argue for a Pentecostal theology of prophetic consciousness, perception, and enactment. I borrow Tim, Luke Timothy Johnson's word in, for prophetic <laughs> acts, and I and I label it under prophetic legitimacy. Now, in the midst of all that. I was very aware of the second generation Pentecost called the Latter Rain Movement that was quite controversial. Mm-hmm. And yet when I met many of the actual principles of the Latter Rain Movement, I discovered that some of the judgments made about them were quite unfair. There, there's excesses in every movement. But mm-hmm. Violet Kitely became a spiritual mom for me and she was present in 1948 on Valentine's Day when the spirit broke out there at Sharon Bible College and her life was radically transformed to 22 years old. And she adopted me as a spiritual mom years later when we were in our first position in ministry in 1980, 81 and 82 in Calgary. And so I was exposed to an exercise of the prophetic that was done with great accountability and critique. Hmm. Um, in in what was called presbytery. But there was accountability in the same way that Malcolm and Floyd Nicholson and when Judson would teach on the prophetic that every prophecy has to be judged and where most of that was tied to simple prophecy to the church that you're in. There were times I had words for people and I had nowhere to get a frame of reference, but 
the latter rain movement gave me a sense of, okay, this is acceptable. It just, if it gets excessive, we end up thinking everybody's going to get a word. And that misses the fundamental point of what presbytery was about and what presbytery was for. Um, and so um, it, 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 it helped shape my awareness of yeah. what I think um, from a Pentecostal perspective, prophetic legitimacy looks like. So I'm not diminishing um, those aspects of prophetic function or expression, but we live in a day where I'm hearing all sorts of things done in the name of the spirit of Christ that have nothing to do theologically, let's say scripturally first, canonically, with what is on the heart of Christ, and we're, we now have embraced a bleeding together, unfortunately, of Christianity with nationalism, right. and now we've got God involved in particular political agendas, there should be a place for the church to be a conscience for a nation. There needs to be a place for cultural engagement, but the church is God's holy nation, and that church is global. It doesn't begin and end in America. Right, exactly. Church yep. is global. So the moment we end up buying into our exceptionalism, and we don't really faithfully read scripture, we end up conflating the gospel with empire, Caesar, yeah. and end up in a whole lot of trouble. So when we're prophesying out of that, that is not the Holy Spirit. I, right. I am very dogmatic about that. None of that is the Holy Spirit. It is another spirit. Hmm. <laughs> That'll probably get me in a lot of trouble, but I've said it before publicly in many settings. We have no business prophesying about political elections. None. And and I and I'm I'm right there with you, right? I mean, and and I think what I really want to hit on here for a second is that point of accountability. And that's where to your, to what you're saying, right? And to to process that, we've lost in some spaces any sense of the potential for accountability. Oh. That aren't echo chambers, right? Because there because you might say like I you know that group that's prophesying on elections, they claim to have accountability, but it's their echo chambered yeah. accountability, right? Yeah. Of people who think the way the same way, talk the same way, they want the same things, even politically. So of course there's accountability because it's the same. Of course it's it's okay, right? And 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 that's not the only spaces, right? I mean, you think about large a lot of large churches struggle with accountability, a lot of kind of papal structures within evangelical churches, right? Like there's there's a miss of accountability, but maybe focus for a second. What when you were talking about accountability in those spaces that you learned, what what is good prophetic accountability? What okay, does so that I'll, mean? Let me take you back to Bible school. We learned how to work together and flow together in the spirit in chapel. We would sit in a circle, we'd pray, we'd worship, and we'd wait on God. And if the gifts were expressed every time there was a prophecy uh the bible school teachers would sit around and say let's judge that word let's see what was good what wasn't good mm. let's take the meat from the bones because we know in part we prophesy in part what was what was mark's imagination and what was the spirit where's the cross in all of this because the testimony of jesus is cross-shaped so mm. how, and 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 there's never going to be a lack of human subjectivity in any charismatic expression, right. the same way that none of us comes without any cognitive bias. So let me let me take a step back, because I do think speaking to issues is prophetic. So when Dr. King spoke to the racial issue, that in and of itself, in intelligible speech, is prophetic because it engages the culture and calls us to account. Yeah. Very much. But right? the moment you begin to talk about fallen, flawed humans as if they are divinely appointed in the empires of this world. Right. Now, listen, we are to be salt and light in the world. We are to engage the culture. Christ is in us. But the moment we sanctify a political candidate in the name of God, we are now whether we realize it or not, and America has a history of this, mm -hmm. tragically. 
Um, and again, our, our, our illiteracy of reading history faithfully is part of the problem. We have pseudo-historians that parade as genuine, vetted, scholarly historians who don't want to actually admit all the things that need to be admitted about how history works and how you do faithful work in right. interpreting history. And on top of that, we've got prophetic voices that are claiming they get quote unquote downloads. Right. Okay, so I right. am not a computer. I am not, <laughs> right. a, I'm not a piece of technology. I'm a human being with cognition, reflection, memory, will, perception, um, uh, volition. And the spirit doesn't download things to me. I deeply have an aversion to that word because mm. of what it conveys to the folk that have no idea what's being said because right. it's the sense in which there's no mediation of it's just this immediate download but there's no processing through the subjectivity of our right. humanness and right. god never violates our humanness right and the moment we think that we have a pure, unfiltered, unmediated word from God, we're already fundamentally biblically illiterate and making the text say something it doesn't say to justify our own failure to right. think critically, analytically, and admit our subjectivity. Right. And so oh, the genuine yeah. prophetic isn't known by how much we can say but by how well we can restrain ourselves and steward what we say with wisdom mm. and then subject it to the accountability of local eldership. We've lost all of that. Yeah. And we've given carte blanche to a practice of, well, if you get something in your mind and it doesn't sound like you, it must be God. Really? Yeah. Where do we get this from? We don't get it from church history. No. We, don't <laughs> we, don't. we don't get it from the Didache. Uh, if no. we go back to the first and second century, Montanus made the same error, and that prophetic error lasted a century and destroyed the lives of so many people in the second century because they went off on a tangent and ended up in Gnostic heresy in yeah. the name of the prophetic because I, they equaled their prophecies to the canon. I'm, I'm really, yeah, I really appreciate you, you bringing that up about this whole like download thing uh, because we, we make prophetic we make it some kind of some kind of thing technique. that we can a technique right and and that you know that's one of the struggles I, i've i've existed in in certain circles especially when teaching at a christian university when people would be brought in and they would want to teach the technique right here's how you can do it as if like you could go to your safari and type in the right thing and all of a sudden you're going to get the download right and now you can do it and it really it really created a space in which the spirit is not sovereign anymore not sovereign exactly by whom we participate with what god is doing within the world we have now become the users of god the users of the spirit. And it's right? a consumer-driven culture that feeds into this and throws money at it, mm. claiming it to be faithful. And there's mm. a lot that has been compromised, but we're so immersed in it, we can't see it. And God forbid we critique it. You're just judging. Well, let's talk about proper judgment because Paul says all prophecy has to be judged. Yeah. So when we no longer want to be held accountable and we want to cherry pick judge not lest you be judged in the Sermon on the Mount without really understanding what ethically Jesus is referring right. to there in terms of a kingdom ethic in relationship to dealing with both insiders and outsiders. Right, right. As opposed to in-house issues when it comes to personal bias personal subjectivity. The spirit of the prophets is subject. That word has to do with subjectivity to the prophets. We right. got to learn that everything we give is flawed and fallible and far from perfect. We get a sense of something by the nudges and the in-breathing of the spirit, and we put our human words to it as best as possible. But we better walk with a limp like Jacob did after he wrestled with mm. God in an encounter with the holy. And our hearts really better still be trembling, no matter how many times we've done this, 
because we will give an account to God for everything we say in the name of God. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah this could be a, a wild tangent I'm about to take us on. So if it is, tell me to know and we're going to get back. Right. But it's really interesting when we talk about sub- subjectivity, objectivity, right. And we actually think about this in relation to, to prophetic. You know, these, these terms, subjectivity and objectivity, are, are find their, so much of their voice within the way, the kind of philosophical frameworks that people engage with in the world and you know, modernism and postmodernism. And for all of the, the good and bad of modernism and all that, and, and there is good and bad, and for all the good and bad of postmodernism, one of the goods of postmodernism is the recognition of that unavoidable subjectivity. Absolutely. Right? That each of us has in any of our engagements, right? It's sure. And and I think we have missed that to your point in prophetic. In and and we've we've created spaces or some people have created spaces in which that prophetic is a hundred percent certain. It's it's it, it is beyond question. It is on par with scripture or on par with you know a, a this word cannot, from yeah, God. this 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 is unquestionable God said it. Well, no, God didn't say it. You said something with a sense of something you got from God. Yeah. And so the moment, and here's the danger, we don't even realize any longer when we're blaspheming when we do that. Mm. So there is judgment Mm. that comes for that. And part of the judgment is God just simply gives us over to our delusion. So we could talk about this from a psychological perspective. We can talk about it from a phenomenological perspective. Which, again, in our tribes, we tend to demonize what threatens our little narrow view of our interpretation of Scripture. Right. So, and I've been involved in both the academic world and the pastoral world of the soul, the care of the soul, but I've studied psychology. So my problem is I've actually studied the human psyche (laughs) and I've actually spent thousands of hours dealing with those issues with people and got a degree in it. Um, I've also got degrees in theology. So, so, and I'm still, I'm way more Pentecostal um, than, than some that would say, well, you've, you've abandoned it because you no, my, my education only confirmed my Pentecostal conviction. Mm-hmm. It didn't, didn't defeat them. It, it affirmed them. I am as committed to Pentecostal, uh, reality as I've ever been. I am committed to the fire and the power of the Holy ghost. I am as Pentecostal as the day is long and I am not apologizing <laughs> for it. So, I want to say, where did God lose his sovereignty as the spirit? So, for example, the manifestations of the one spirit, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits, these, the Holy Spirit is the gift. Yeah. The Holy Spirit is the gift. These are manifestations of the self-same spirit. I don't have a gift called the word of knowledge sitting in me all the time. Right. I have the Holy Spirit, and I have, by that anointing, known when I have a piece of information that has some sense of resonance with what I know to be the Spirit based on my my handling of the Scripture as faithfully as I know how, my handling of the tradition and what I know about that, all of that. I have all of that, and um, when I... When I prophesy, I am very careful. And I don't, and and like, there are times I'll say the spirit of grace is saying, but I pulled away a long time ago from saying, thus saith the Lord. Yeah. The word of the Lord comes to me. Well, first of all, what we don't want to, what we don't want to admit is that in the old covenant, and if you look at the church fathers, when they said the word of the Lord came to me, we need to first stop and ask, what does that actually mean? What's our method for interpreting that? John tells us in John 1, in the beginning was the word. Right. The word, Isaiah 2, which Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw. How do you see a word? Right. Right. Jeremiah 23, 18. But who has stood in the council, C-O-U-N-C-I-L, 
like the UN Security Council? Who has stood in the council of Yahweh that he should see and hear his word? In order to be an Old Testament prophet, the litmus test wasn't accuracy. See, we cherry pick these verses and ignore the whole council of God. To be a legitimate prophet, you had to be initiated into the council, C-O-U-N-C-I-L. And I, hmm. I've got receipts for this. We haven't got time on the podcast, but every <laughs> Old Testament prophet that is in the canon had an encounter in the heavenly council with the second person of the Godhead. Every one of them. Yeah. The I would love made, the, who was, was made flesh in Mary's womb. I would love to get into that and have a discussion. I do want to, I do want to say though, I, I mean, I, again, I, I appreciate that because there's so much for so much in, and humility in, and, and prophetic that's, that's lacking. There's so much in, in care and prophetic that's lacking. Um, and, and I say, you know, again, growing up Pentecostal, very much spirit filled and wouldn't deny that by any stretch. Right. And, and, and had the experiences I had the AG requirement of speaking in tongues, right. After spirit baptism, uh, as the proof, the initial physical evidence, whatever they want to call it. And, and all of these things kind of began to become problematic for me, not in what they were, but rather in the sense that they became my things to use, right? And so much so that there were there were times where I've heard pastors from that tradition want to prove, want to make people prove to other people that they had been baptized by, well, if you are, you can just start speaking in tongues now, as if that thing is a, now a, a thing that I can control, I can contain, I can do, I can practice, I can get better at, not recognizing that all of this has actually been, are we learning to participate better with the Spirit exactly. because of the Spirit? And what what I appreciate the wind from, blows where it wills. And and what I appreciate from Machia, who calls them these theophanic signs, right? Absolutely. They're not things that that we, we present. Possess. We right? do or we possess. Right. So there's the energia, the energies of the spirit that we are graced by in those moments, and we participate with him mm -hmm. in the triune life. One of the great dangers, and again, because we dismiss the creeds, we divorce the Holy Spirit from Jesus in our thinking and in our hmm. theology. Everything has to find its expression from an incarnational perspective. Yeah. Even our pneumatology has to be understood in light of our Christology. So the incarnation is the very foundation of all revelation, God has spoken in his son. This is my beloved son, hear him. It is in Christ that heaven and earth are reunited. It is in Christ that heaven and earth are reconciled. It is in Christ that all the fragmented parts of our life get put back together again by the spirit. But the spirit never even, Jesus said, I do nothing but what I see my father doing, John 5, John 12. I say nothing but what I hear my father saying. Right. So Jesus doesn't say anything independent of the father. The spirit, he says, doesn't say anything independent of Jesus or the father. Right. And the spirit discloses what is of Christ. Right. And the moment we fail to understand what that means and how that applies, we can we can make prophecies about a thousand and one things that have nothing to do with the testimony of Jesus. Now, look, Aaron, I can look at you in, in a moment of inspiration and I can sense the grace of God um, because I'm, I, when that grace is there, I could probably sense the grace of God and yield to that and share some things about what God's doing in your life, what he has done in your life, what may want to unfold in your life. The spirit discloses what is to come. It's all going to be cross-shaped. It's all going to be related to the fellowship of his sufferings and the power of his resurrection. It's all going to find its ultimate fulfillment in the cross-shaped life, the to be a witness yeah. of Jesus, a, a a living martyr. So that has 
a, we have a desperate need to recover that in the prophetic movement. And and I will maybe I'll, I'll ground this in my own personal experience just uh, uh, just to share because I do think it's important, right? I mean, the same person who had this Trump became known was on major news things, right? I mean, he had a church in the city that I lived at and taught at for a while, and I went one time with a friend as a honestly as a favor to that friend. I said, "Sure, I guess I'll go with you," and you know, I didn't really want to, but I did. And the second I, I walked in, it was a strange feeling. I was like, hmm, he's going to say something to you. And I know he is, right? And again, knowing being, a, 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 uh, having humility in that knowing, right? Not with certainty, but there's a feeling, right? And uh, sure enough, some somewhere and somehow within the service, this, this moment happened. And what was odd about that moment was there was a moment for me of this this isn't this isn't god speaking and 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 again my pentecostal sense was was i was struggling right because here i am trying to kind of understand this moment and we walked out and, I, and the friend my friend was like wow that was so great that he, you, you got that and i said mm, yeah and i didn't want to bust his bubble or anything but i was like I don't think that really meant anything for me uh, because of the world. There's no accountability. There's no conversations. There's no, right. Anything that we've discussed here today. And what I find interesting is there's a, even being Pentecostal, there is a resistance because of the abuses of that kind of stuff. Oh, absolutely. To, to hear those things anymore. And uh, our first conversation, right. There was a moment in which you said some things to me, which were, just so kind and caring in ways that I've never experienced that, I, I mean, I think they were important, but what was most important was the spirit by which it was engaged, right? Because mm -hmm. that was something that for me was healing in a moment, more than the terms, more than the words, it was the spirit by which it happened, which was much more cross-shaped than things that have been experienced in the abuses within charismatic and Pentecostal spaces, right? I think there's there's a reality in our conversation here today in talking about this, recognizing that when we think about those prophetic spaces, we are really trying to recognize the accountability, the care, the sweetness, the, the, the work of the spirit, which can be both hard and it can be so sweet at the same time, right? And these things should have what you're saying in that, that Christocentric reality in our lives and we don't have enough spaces that allow for the accountability allow for the conversations allow for the 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 knowledgeable right the those who have studied these things to have conversations we've we've used them almost as evangelistic tools to the point that they they are more abusive than they are holy or healthy within our church spaces yeah we're we're back to the knowledge of the holy Hmm. Oh, the, 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 the mysterium tremendum at Fascinans, these encounters with the numinosum, that which both terrifies us as well as exhilarates us at the same time. Yeah. As Len Sweet says, orthodoxy is paradoxy. Hmm. We live in the tension between, whoa, I am undone, there's a deconstruction, and then here am I, send me, this reconstruction all happening, everything collapses into a moment where the yeah. holiness of God, the fear of the Lord, brings about an actualization of our full potential, born out of the, the commingling of our brokenness and our beauty. Yeah. Hmm. I, that, that itself was beautiful. And I think, uh, we'll, we'll maybe end there. There's so much more we can talk about. There's so much more I do want to talk about, but I also want to be respectful of your time. Uh, but thank you so much. I mean, I think I'm honored. Aaron. I think so many, right. We we've had on everyday theology. There's been a lot of podcasts about prophetic, both biblical senses, old Testament senses, new Testament senses, theological senses. And, and I, what I appreciate about this is it's much more of almost the practical sense, the thinking about all of these things and what this means in the way that we engage that people are so interested in. I mean, we we recognize that the church itself in America is, uh, church attendance is well on the decrease. That's not 
seemingly turning around anytime quickly. I mean, I'm, I'm all for revival and I'm happy for, I hope for revival. Uh, but I don't, I don't see that kind of in our current culture, but there's something about this that helps us recognize those spaces, understanding those spaces, being able to kind of recognize where those spaces are healthy or not healthy that so many people want, because there's so many people who might be leaving the church who yet desire the, the, the spiritual encounter, but don't know what that spiritual encounter is supposed to look like. Right. Yeah. And, and let me just close with just a very brief statement. I am persuaded that there is a grassroots yearning that will lead to a satisfying in God of seeing the genuine demonstration of the spirit and power in our generation mm. yet to be yeah. revealed. And if we, if we extrapolate out the timeline, we could say with Harvey Cox from the late 90s or others in more recent years, the future belongs to the Pentecostal. So by 2050, just put your put your long-range foresight glasses <laughs> on, look out on the horizon of Christ, because the global South is being moved upon right yeah. now by the powerful. America is way behind in terms of what God is doing in the earth. Mm. They just don't realize it. We, you know, we're so technical and we're so into consumer driven Christianity. And we've exported that to the nations to our yeah. detriment. And God oh, yeah. is deconstructing all that right now. We just don't, we may not realize it, but he is if we're paying attention prophetically. But by 2050, the fastest growing movements on the planet in the church, in global Christianity, will be Pentecostalism and the Catholic charismatic renewal. So -hmm. there's great hope for the church. There's great hope for the future. But it won't be based on consumer-driven Christianity. Right. It'll be based on Matthew 25, the parable of the virgins that were wise, uh, the parable of those that were given talents to use them wisely, uh, and and the ways in which we steward how we wow. participate with the triune life in bringing forth that which doesn't emanate from us, but yeah. from him in us. And there's a delicate balance there. It, and And again, we're dealing with what Austin Ferrer referred to as that causal joint, that place deep in the human species where the divine and the human touch but Mm. god never violates our humanness and so even when god breathes into us our cognitions our intuitions our reflections our memories when god breathes on those those things god doesn't bypass our brokenness it still comes through our cognitive biases our we, we still put our interpretation on it. And God said to Jeremiah, what do you see? He didn't say, interpret what you see. He said, just, <laughs> right. I, I see a rod of anometry. Okay, stop right there. That's what you see. I yeah. have to teach you how to interpret that. Yeah. Um, but all I want you to understand is that what you see is an almond bud in blossom in February in North Judah. I'm doing the same thing with my word. I'm shaked, shoked. It's a play on words. I'm watching over my word to perform it. And so Mm. I need you to understand you're not the guardian of my word. I am. I'm simply asking you to steward what I share with you. You can't make it up. You can't activate it. All you can do is steward it. And that requires you surrender in grace to my will and understand that my willing and my doing in you requires your surrendering. And that means the cross has to have an impact on your life. You know, and that's another area that we could spend such fascinating time about, even what that means in in relation to our our church hermeneutics, the way that we, we, uh, we make certain our interpretations with things like fundamental truths and claims, right. That have only served to hinder, um, or create guardrails, unnecessary guardrails around. So someone hit the, hit the doorknob, um, doorbell, but, uh, yeah, we could get, oh man, I want to get into that now, but we can't. So Mark, how can people follow up with your work? Can, how can they kind of hear some sermons, whatever you want to kind of say, here's where they can kind of hear more about both what you are talking about today and also 
uh, if they want to engage with anything else. Mark Chirona, C-H-I-R-O-N-N-A.com is my website. They can go there. We are, all that I do is there. They can have links to our YouTube. They can have links to um, all my social media. They can have all the schedules of my my weekly broadcast globally on Daystar. Uh, all of that is there. Yeah, amazing. My books, every, you can get access to my books. All of it is there. Well, I, I thank you so much. It's been uh, as every time. So uh, healing for even for me and and enjoyable to have conversations. So I hope that we'll we'll have you back sometime in the future. Sure.